0: This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air.
1: Next on Plains FM, host Tina Dakin-Luke
0: interviews inspiring women on This Is Who We Are.
1: Welcome, I'm Tina Dakem-Luke and this is Who We Are. Being behind the mic isn't something I would have naturally seen myself doing. But one day I saw a Facebook post advertising a podcast course run via the CWEA. I felt drawn to doing it uh, as I was looking for a hobby at the time. At the end of the course, we were invited to record a 15-minute pilot podcast at Plains FM. I interviewed a client at the time and she was so enthused that she became my sponsor. So thanks to New Zealand On Air and Kimberly Sweetman, here I am. My guest today has a long association with Plains FM and a rich history and background in media. So pull up a chair, grab a drink, get comfy, and I will introduce her after this song. I'm lucky enough today to have Bronwyn Beatty in the studio with me, and she's probably more comfortable on this side of the mic. But I won't be handing it over, so she's going to be interviewed. And Bronwyn is research leader at the New Zealand Broadcasting School, which is part of Ara Institute of Canterbury, and she's taught there for ten years. I want to talk today about access broadcasting because it's a vital part of New Zealand media. And I have a book in front of me which Bronwyn has co-authored called "Sharing the Mic: Community Access Radio in Aotearoa, New Zealand." So, Bronwyn, welcome to the studio. Lovely to chat. Thank you. Great to meet you. Yep. So, ten years teaching, and you just still look so vibrant. So you clearly <laughs> chose well. Yes, yes. It's it's a.
0: a- a great job, and um, I think there's there's just so many elements to it. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's great uh, being around younger people who are excited about their career, and um, but I, you know, being able to teach and research is is just a, a really wonderful mix. I'm, a Real privilege, and so get to be able to um, delve deeper into ideas and issues that you know I'm really interested in, and um, can then you know, pass that information on to students as well as write it up for you know academic articles or, or a book. Yeah. So, what led you to co authoring this book? Um, well, Brian Pauling, that I um, co authored with, is also a a researcher, he actually began the Broadcasting School. So he, um, I think it was back about 1983, it started off as a media centre where they um, ran a radio station and turned into a a degree, uh, the New Zealand Broadcasting School. He has had a long association with Access Radio. Um, He began Planes FM. And uh, so it was good being able to, you know, having worked with him, being able to research alongside him, he approached New Zealand On Air to get some funding for the book. Um, 40 Years was coming up and for Access Radio. So his long association, he wanted to um, record the history of the sector. And... big project, 12 stations, you know, 40 years, Yeah, a, a lot of interviewing, um, a lot of material, archival as well. So um, having two people on board was a, a, a good way of doing it. And um, I was fortunate that he contacted me and, and I was keen.
1: And it's a wonderful celebration. I noticed that um, each area basically gets a chapter so I see that Wellington actually pipped us at the post for 1981 that they <laughs> got on air. So how did they manage to do that ahead of us?
0: Yeah, you yeah, know, they were the the first access um, station, access programming. And they were, I guess, a grassroots process where um, um, some communities approached RNZ. They wanted access to the airways on a by, for and about Manner, which is of course you know the hallmark of Access Radio, yes. but um, back in 1981, there wasn't that really. There was no other. There wasn't Access Radio as we know it now. So they approached RNZ, they or radio, National Radio as it was then, and they provided some airtime, but they also provided you know the facilities, the um, support, and, and encouraged them to upskill and, and create their own programming. And that um, built up. Within a few years, they had something like 500 programmes, I think, um, in, in multiple languages. So it, it really burgeoned. Arrow followed suit and and then Planet and, and Planes around the same time. Um, so Arrow, FM and Wellington Access Radio were supported, hosted by the you know, national broadcaster, but both Planet and Plains were looking to create something similar, you know, that community access radio on an independent basis, you know, so removed from RNZ largely. So, yeah, Wellington Access Radio was the first; it, it, it set the tone, if you like, and um, yeah. And then by 1988, Plains FM was going to air.
1: So I, I'm imagining that for quite a while it was run on a shoestring. It kind of still is in a way. We do get, we're lucky, I guess, now we get government funding in New Zealand on air. So that really, to me, speaks of the tenacity of the people that, that started this and the grassroots and um, what you can actually create because there's some amazing content out there but it doesn't actually need to have a lot of money behind it.
0: Right, yeah,
1: yeah. And and that was one of
0: the difficulties for Planes and Planet, you know, they they began, as I say, you know, independent of RNZ, so they had to fundraise for their own you know, facilities and hence Planes is attached to um, the Broadcasting School. Um, physically, now it was much more um, closer proximity in those f- very first days. But um, it's the legislation didn't come in until after both um, Planet and Planes FM were on air. So... Brian was running the media centre and um, was investigating whether access radio would fly as a concept here in Christchurch, and um, the students at the radio school were um, encouraged to practice, you know, have a trial run. So they they got access radio running for a few weeks in both um, eighty six and eighty seven, and. He felt that there was enough interest there from the community in terms of sponsorship and therefore money to get it going um, and uh, set in motion, you know, created a trust and, and got access radio, um, Plains Access Radio, um, established going to air in 1988. Um, Tony Simons was seconded from RNZ, so that was RNZ support to the station. Um, and there was, you know, um, equipment Donated by other stations, etc. So there's that kind of camaraderie around um, access radio. There's lots of stories about being supported by um, being given equipment or using amateur equipment before they could afford the um, you know, sort of more hardy um, uh, commercial equipment. But with um, going 24 7 and developing Plains FM, it was soon found that there wasn't really enough money out there to support the station on an independent basis, and it was really just fortunate that 1989, um, the Labour government introduced the New Zealand Broadcasting Act, which, on on one hand, it it opened up the airwaves to uh, private ownership and, and commercialisation, um, but on, and therefore it meant that. Um, money needed to be made available for market failure, if you like. The um, people who weren't going to be heard on that commercial radio, that we were getting a a media sector that was much more oriented towards commercial and therefore sort of honing in on middle New Zealand as opposed to um, those minority groups that aren't going to be sold advertising to. So, um, so New Zealand On Air supports on a sixty forty basis, and that means that each station still has to find funding. Yeah, and as you know, that that's a hard job. Sponsorship for each program, but you know, events are run, fundraising, etc. And um, but to do to find money at the same time as upskilling and mm. f- well, first finding. Programmers to go to air and then upskilling and supporting them. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot lot that goes on before um, the audience
1: has the, the joy of hearing Access Radio and all its diversity. So we have 12 stations at the moment. You two split up and went your separate ways and did six each. Yes. And I understand that you had Dunedin and the song that uh, we played to welcome you in, could you let the listeners know uh, who that was. Sure. So it's um, Cactus Cat by Look Blue, Go Purple.
0: I'm not sure when the, um, the song was released, early 80s, I think, and Leslie Paris, who is the manager at Otago Access Radio. She's the drummer. Hello. Um, <laughs> we yeah, just hi like Leslie. To say hello. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's a it's a great perky song, and it's sort of, um, yeah, there's that, that Dunedin
1: vibe to it that, yeah. that I enjoy, yeah. What did you notice with the six that you went and visited? Because I guess that um, each station would have had a different uh, vibe to it depending on uh, the management and the programmers. And what did you notice?
0: Yes, there are differences at each station, but also similarities. similarities yep. Yeah, yeah. And and without... Um, uh, question they're all welcoming and um, friendly and encouraging Um, but as as they should they reflect their community yeah I wouldn't really like to pin it down too much to each station but there's the that is a core point of access radio is that while increasingly the stations are um, collaborating and working together to talk about sort of some of the you know funding and and issues that they face. it's for each station to reflect directly reflect their community. So it's not not about networked radio, um, yeah, which is obviously the concern with commercial radio and mm. and um, that it's around largely auckland-based
1: content. What I, am loving about this book and I can't wait to read even more of the chapters is that it gives me an opportunity to understand each other so I'm understanding the other um, people who are sharing the mic with me but also it talks about the sector history but also the output achieved because actually there's so much richness in the content and I didn't even realise that um, so many minorities were able to have a voice and being supported to have a voice and it's... um, you know, we're seeing such change in society at the moment and and this is really helping us to see the commonalities and giving each other a voice that can be heard and that there is a place for everybody. Yes, yeah, and th- that's um, what Access Radio is
0: really um, able to, to achieve, that if people can come into a, a physical station and rub shoulders or, you know, um, hear each other's work and equally, the the audience can you know hear the the different um, ideas and values life experiences, you know, and g- gain greater empathy and understanding for where people are coming from, particularly when you think about um, people who have come to New Zealand under distressed circumstances. Yes. It's really important to know um, about their background and get a feel for the challenges that they're facing. You know, um, as sort of middle New Zealand, it's it's really easy to, not intentionally, but be just oblivious. Yes. And um, so it's, it can be a real eye-opener as to... Um, yeah, what what uh, is difficult for s- some people coming to New Zealand, and it might be language, or um, religion, or you know, just culture, access to um, you know, uh, knowing what their entitlements to uh, to you know the government um, sub- finances and things. Yeah,
1: I have been really, really impressed with the quality of the staff. And for me coming in to do a show with actually no background in media, and how supportive they've been, how much um, I've learnt, the amazing producers that you have supporting you, I don't know that people realise how much talent we have in these areas. Right?
0: Yeah, and and the staff are um, magic. You know, they've it's. It's one of those things with Access Radio, and, and sorry, I'm saying Access Radio a lot, but Access you know, Radio it is Access Media. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but there's, not only do staff need to be technically proficient. They they must be community minded, you know, community developers. They're um, you know about people, and you know the the technical support you know at a commercial station can be utterly focused on the equipment, etc. But in in this context, it's about um, you know being able to communicate with people from different cultures, etc. And and being able to make them feel safe, excited, and um, afraid. All of those things. So yes, the staff are special.
1: Yes. Yeah. And is there anything in particular you can think of that you learnt that surprised you as you get it about on your little adventures? <laughs> I think one of the things was the flexibility
0: of access radio media. Um, perhaps if I, even just focusing on the schedule, you know that it can respond in so many ways. You know, it can accommodate a program that goes to air once a week. Twi- you know, twice a month, once a month—you know—a scheduler's nightmare, I'm sure. But you know, the program could be 15 minutes long, half an hour, an hour. You know, there's there's all these variables that it's able to cater to, and of course, that was something um, with COVID that access radio, access media was really able to assist people with. Could immediately engage um, new programs and deliver the core government messages in languages and in culturally appropriate um, language f- for all the communities that, that listen in. So I think that that would be one of the aspects that I, I found intriguing. There's, there's that flexibility there.
1: So there is a real value in this sector for the media and the audience. And what issues, ideas or challenges do you see might face the sector going forward? Are there any? <laughs> yes, yeah, there
0: are lots, and I, I, like any not-for-profit, it's, it's money is is a big one. Um, it's putting that aside, I guess, yeah, you know, because it's 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 there. Is ongoing need to be present and seen in the community whilst attending to day-to-day activities under um, you know doing work under the smell of an oily rag. So. Uh, Being able to bring on new programmers, you know, tell people about access radio, access media, explain it to them, show them the value of it, and why they could be involved, and what it might um, do for them and for their particular community. So that's an ongoing value, but but challenge as well, because telling someone about it and getting them excited doesn't necessarily get them behind the mic. There's all other things about you know, perhaps the person might not feel safe in, in this context. It might be completely foreign to them. And um, so getting someone behind the mic is, can take a lot of work. And then keeping them there is a big thing because all of that time, money spent on getting someone to become a programmer um it, it would. It's nice to have some longevity, and and that's one of the other things that Access Radio has. You know, there's those that have gone to air for a short period of time, and those that have
1: gone to air for 26, 30 plus years. It's, it's amazing. It is amazing, and to think that you know this this has been forty years. That's a lot of content, and it, so varied. It it is a lot of content, and and that's what's great
0: about it. Obviously, we've um, gone from the analogue era when access radio began into the digital, that access radio has become access media. So all of this content is is now, instead of just being on air at a certain particular time that you had to tune into at that time or miss it, now there's the websites, there's accessmedia.nz, the um, media the app that anyone can download and and listen
1: to any of the content that's from any of the stations. Yeah. I'm imagining writing this book that actually making it succinct must have been quite tricky because probably each station could have been a book in itself. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm laughing hard. It so like, I want to congratulate uh, you. Oh,
0: that's, that's, that's kind. But um, it was an editor's nightmare, and our editor was Karen Neal, and she definitely deserves some applause. Um, yes, it was. We agree. A, a chapter a, on each station is is just the starting point. Um, a, a book on each um, station would be wonderful. Um, yeah, we we did have to um, cull out a, a lot of information, which was um, sad. But um, yeah, we we are comfortable that this is a just the first writing of of Access
1: Radio's history. There's a lot more to be said. The beginning of the celebration. Yes. Yeah, so yeah. if anybody is interested in wanting to get their hands on a copy of this book, how can they go about that? It's published by Free Range Press, so you can go to their website. Um,
0: it's also uh, on online at Unity Books and um, what course have the book as well.
1: Thank you. It's been a real treat having you in the studio with me today, Bronwyn, and I really appreciate all of the hard effort that's gone into this book. And um, Yeah, and thank you because it's made it possible for me to be here and and I'm really enjoying um, being behind the mic and what I've been learning and getting to know the wonderful people that we have in Christchurch. Thank you. Cheers. Thank, thanks, Tina. No, it was the privilege is ours. As Bronwyn was leaving the studio, she mentioned about Kemmer or KAMA, I might be saying it incorrectly, Community Access Media Alliance. And they're the overarching body that each of the stations belong to. And this alliance is having an awareness campaign at the moment uh, to get the word out about access radio. So you can check them out on Facebook. Or if you're following your station on Facebook, you will get that information coming through. So I highly recommend it. Let's get behind supporting these stations and um, the producers of content because it's really... A wonderful gift in our community. It brings richness, diversity, but it also is is a great reminder of uh, what we have in common. So, thanks for today. It's always been such a pleasure having this moment to share with you. Kia kaha, Christchurch.